We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. You guys, have a seat. It is so good to be at church today. Who's glad they came to church today? Woo! Come on. I am so excited to be in church this morning. My name is Emma Adams, and I am the lead pastor here at Hope Church. I have a beautiful, amazing family. I am married to Alfie. Is that my son clapping? Um, I have married to Alfie. He's our drummer this morning. Um, And we have three amazing kids together. We have uh, Kian, and he is 15, going on 16. So proud of that kid. Uh, We have Oliver, who is 9. He'll be 10 in January, which is crazy to me. He's our rainbow baby, for those of you who know what that means. Um, He has been a joy since the day he was born to us. And then we have our Phoebe, and she is four. And yes, that's right, boy, boy, girl. Um, We were so excited when we got that girl verdict. (laughs) We were so excited, and all the pink, and she fulfills every girl promise ever. Let me just tell you, the girl is unicorns, rays of sunshine, purple, pink, all the things, okay? Our kids are amazing people. And I'm so glad that God gave us this amazing family. But as a parent, I don't know about you, and and every child is different, but when you're parenting kids, you kind of got to use different tactics. Am I right? Because every kid's a little different. And that's the same, I don't care who you parent, right? Every kid's a little different. You got to go at it in different ways, and you got to use different methods and techniques with each kid. But there's one that seems to work pretty well, and and teachers use it in school, and we use it to distract our toddler, and it's called reorienting. You know what I'm talking about? Redirecting. They're doing something insane and sinful and horrible, right? Beating somebody, taking something, trying to eat glue. We don't know, you know, what goes on between their heads. And, and, and so you, hey, um, hey, I know that that's amazing. Um, hey, would you like to come over here and bake cookies? Because what they're doing is not going to bring them joy or peace or hope, right? They're going to need help. So you redirect them over here so that everyone can experience joy and peace in the home. Redirecting, reorienting their little lives. And for kids... Uh, for us as parents, there are some, some observations that I have made over my time as a parent. I've only got 15 years in the game. There are some who have had several more years than I do, but listen, 15 years, I feel, I feel pretty good. I have one functioning teenage child who has a job and is getting good grades. So, I mean, I feel like I'm doing okay. But there's some universal things about parenting that, that we all can agree on. First is that kids are little sinners. Can I get an amen from the parents? Kids are little sinners from the birth. Don't come at me. Your kid is not as sweet and innocent as you put off, okay? Kids are little sinners. They learn and then they sin. That's what they do. They are little sinners. Uh, And I don't know whatever your kids get into, but for instance, kids really easily just lie, cheat, take the cookies, 
steal things, are dishonest, or, or they use your name to get away with stuff with the other parent. Anybody have the kid that tries to play the one parent off the other? Hey, listen, I feel like this is going to happen until they're grown and out of the house. Our kid's always trying to jockey for who is going to give them what, leave out bits of information just to see if they can get it slide with the other parent. Uh-huh. Yeah. They do this. And if, in case you didn't notice, these things that I just named, they're the Ten Commandments. Before your kids are 10, they've broken the Ten Commandments, okay? And don't come at me, well, well, they're not little murderers. Hey, Jesus said if you look at somebody with anger in your heart. And I've seen the look that my kids give me sometimes. It is not nice. There is murder in their hearts. <laughs> the second universal truth of parenting might be a little less obvious but my kids, and I bet it's true with you too, that your kids are always worse little sinners when they come home from staying with a relative, especially grandparents. Especially grandparents. I mean, they get home and they are thrown the heck off the train. They don't know how to do anything anymore. And for those of you who co-parent with a, a divorced parent, holy cow, how do you even? Because when they get home, it takes me a whole entire week to reprogram them to have joy and peace in the house. These kids come home, and I don't know if it's the full Mountain Dew, Sour Patch Kids pizza diet that they've had while they were away, like Mentos and Coke happening. All, I don't know what they're hopped up on, but they get home and they are the worst little sinners. They have broken all the Ten Commandments in one afternoon. And by the time I'm ready for them to get to bed, I'm ready to get out like the Benadryl, y'all. And like knock up, like not the good, no, not the non-drowsy. I'm talking about Benadryl. I'm ready to knock these little kids out. Please go to sleep because mommy's going to lose it, Right? Have you experienced this with your kids, right? You have to reorient them so that there is joy in the house. And don't you just love it when they have broken all Ten Commandments simultaneously and, and then you are correcting them. You're redirecting and reorienting and they look at you like you're the one who's messed up. Huh? Grandma lets me do this. Well, tell her to come and get you. Right? Call her now, because I'm about to let you walk there, right? And can I just be honest, in so many similar ways, we as adults do the same thing. First of all, we are bigger sinners. We are bigger sinners, and we all do the same things that our kids do. We ignore God and try to live our lives on our own. We don't listen to the commandments he's given us and we don't follow them. We'll lie. Oh, but it's just a little one just to get out from under my boss's radar for just a minute. We'll covet our neighbor's spouse or our neighbor's Tesla. <laughs> just confessing my sins. Just confessing my sins up here. Or we'll covet their Christmas decorations 
Like, what is up with the whole light display in the neighborhood, guys? How do they have time for this? Or maybe some of us will even go so far as to take what doesn't belong to us. We'll dishonor our parents and not care for them as God has asked us to, or we'll take his name and use it to make a profit and then turn around and treat people absolutely shamefully. Guys, we do it. We do all of these things, and worse, we'll even turn and blame it on God. Well, if God would just, then I will. Well, if God, if God, he made me this way. No, I'm pretty sure you made choices too, right? And this gets worse when we abandon our weekly routine or worse, if there's a tragedy that happens to us or some traumatic event happens in our life, we get thrown. We get disoriented. And the things that use to keep us in a steady rhythm of following God's word are totally thrown out of whack. We start chugging Mountain Dew and eating pizza 24-7 and eating all... Listen, I'm going to be honest and confess to you that I had a day yesterday. Glory be to God in the highest. My family and I went to go see a movie and instead of eating lunch, we ate all the snacks. I got a large popcorn and I got not one but two candies because one wasn't enough. I did share, to be fair. And I let all my kids do this. And my kids got out of the movies. You know what they said to me? We oh, didn't eat lunch. You ate. You got kids' packs, fruit chews, sour patch kids. Phoebe had two, yes, count them, two slushy cups. She looked like a warrior from Wakanda with like red and blue all over her face by the time we were done. So we all have those days when our disciplines slip. And if we live in those seasons, we get so disoriented. And can we just talk about the Christmas season for a minute? Wow, let's be honest. At Christmas time, it happens because let's be really, really honest. Sometimes Christmas is less than magical. Amen? Sometimes Christmas can be really disorienting. And maybe for you, you've experienced a loss this year and somebody that you love and whom you have built traditions with is taken out of your life and you are wondering, what do I do now? How, how do I even proceed in this season? Or maybe for you, you're single and you're like, I really didn't want to be single this Christmas. And you feel lonely and lost and it can be so disoriented. And maybe for you, your mental and physical load during the month of December feels like a tipping point and you're ready to take all of the gumdrops and all of the candy canes and that Christmas tree, and shove it up the nose of the next person who says Merry Christmas. Anybody feel like a Scrooge sometimes? Man, if I was completely honest, December is crazy, and my life, and my peace, and my joy can get all thrown out of whack. I'm just being honest, guys. 
Maybe for you, it's not just the extra activities for kids and family and work, but maybe you are wrestling with something deeper. Maybe you have a child that you've longed for that you don't have. Or maybe you're wrestling with um, promises that didn't come through and promotions that didn't happen. Maybe Christmas just feels like a crushing blow and you've lost all joy. This morning, I want to equip you with some timeless truths that are going to help you reclaim your joy at Christmas. Yes, even at Christmas. And so I want to tell you that this morning, we light the candle of joy. We light the candle of joy so that all might see that there is joy in Christ. So as we look into our journey of the covenants that lead to uh, the advent of Christ, we're going to delve into the dark of Israel's captivity at the hands of the Egyptians. Remember we talked about before in the Abrahamic covenant or God's agreement with Abraham that Abraham was God's representative so that through Abraham the whole entire earth would be blessed. Do you remember what God said to Abraham? He said, yo bro, check it. I'm going to save your whole entire family. You guys are going to rock the world. But there's going to be this period of time for 400 years where they're going to be enslaved in Egypt. And Abraham was like, cool, cool. Not going to happen during my time. Whatever you say, boss. So now we're in that period in the Bible where the book, in the book of Exodus, where we see Israelites are indeed enslaved in Egypt at the hands of Pharaoh, who was like, yo, this Israelite nation who has been serving us has gotten way, way out of control. So I'm going to go ahead and enslave them. They're going to be my brick making, pyramid building, all of that. They're going to be all of that. And also, I want you to kill all their boy children because the boys are the worst. Just saying what Pharaoh said. Right? He was like, the boys are the worst. Um, Look, I like boys. Just saying. But Pharaoh had enough. And he was going to, he was going to stifle, he was going to stifle the growth of the community because he said to himself, if they get any bigger, we're going to have a problem on our hands because we treat them badly. Right? So I'm going to cut them off. And God spares the life of a man named Moses in the most miraculous way. He saves Moses, little tiny baby in a basket. His daughter picks it up out of the river and says, wow, this is a baby, going to adopt him. He gets raised in Pharaoh's household like a Hebrew is, you know, under the radar in his own house. And, And so we have this miracle upon miracle upon miracle for Moses's life. And Moses reaches a place where he knows he's an Israelite. He's in Egypt, and he knows that his people are treated horribly. He goes out, and he sees an Egyptian mistreating another Israelite, and he loses it. He loses his temper, and he murders the Egyptian. And then he buries him in the sand like a cat, and like, (laughs) y'all didn't see anything, right? I'm just going to cover this up. Until the next day, he rolls out and he sees two Israelites arguing and fighting. And he goes, guys, we can't fight amongst each other. We got bigger things to worry about. 
And you know what the Israelite says? What? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses goes, oh, crap. They know my sand job of covering did not work. And he's in trouble. And so we have this moment where Moses runs from Egypt and he heads out into the wilderness and he goes on the backside of a mountain, settles down with this dude's wife, this dude's uh, daughter, becomes a father and hides on the backside of the desert for years until he has an encounter with God and God calls him to save his people, Israel. So Moses, through God's power, demonstrates through signs and wonders that, that the freedom of the Israelites is God's intention. And then he takes them and establishes uh, the Israelites as God's chosen people through a covenant marked by a law we call the Ten Commandments. This would be an eternal identity for the people who would remember and recall this moment in time as God's rescue and commitment. And God was going to bring about a great joy for his people. And it would start with a covenant. And so here we have uh, the covenant for joy. And that's what we're going to talk about first, the covenant for joy. First of all, I think a lot of us get a wrong idea about laws. We get a wrong idea about the Ten Commandments. You see, we see them and our bearing as little sinners helps us to see them as restrictive or confining or hard. But really, they're joyful. And this is what David, as the psalmist says, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord refreshes your soul. It's not for your oppression. It's not for your restriction. It's so that you can have joy and peace and be refreshed. God's laws aren't to, to um, oppress you like Pharaoh. They're to uplift you out of the dust and out of the dark and create in you joy as God's established people. But the Israelites flee from Egypt. There's a problem. They've been at grandma's too long. And they need to be reoriented. And so God establishes this covenant. You see, God got the Israelites out of Egypt, as many have said. But then he'd have to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And so this is what he brings in Exodus 21 through 9. Listen to these words. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me or besides me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents up to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Parents, you want to bless your kids? Keep the commands of the Lord. Seven. 
You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Do you understand that God took that central, central commandment and explained it to the nth degree? Why do you think that is? Because that's probably the one we violate the most frequently. Then he goes on to say, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Ten Commandments. You see, the freedom that God brought for the Israelites was a great source of joy. These commands are not meant to oppress, but to uplift all of mankind. You see, God delivered them from the oppression of their enemy, and that can happen for you too. When we say yes to a relationship with God, when we say yes to Jesus, we get rid of the oppression of the enemy and his hold over our lives, and the condemnation that being in sin brings with it. You see, there has to be a redirecting in our lives. We have to be reoriented from the way we were to a new way of living. And so the Ten Commandments gives us a basis for how we're supposed to live as God's chosen and anointed people. You see, God had to get Egypt out of the Israelites, but there is more to this Old Testament covenant than just the Israelites being reoriented. In this covenant, God outlines what it should look like for people to be his people in the world. His people should be a people of rest a people who honor their family, their mother and their father. His people should be a people that honor him above all else and worship no one and nothing else. His people should be people that do not kill but give life. His people would be people who would be honest and not lie. His people would be people who would be faithful and true to their spouses. His people would be people who were not prone to jealousy for other people's material possessions but would build others up according to their needs. This is the law that God gave us to be a blessing to the whole entire world. As the covenant of Abraham was a blessing to the whole world, so this would be a blessing. And when followed, this covenant creates a compelling image of God's heart on display for the world to see. And it would all point forward to Jesus. In fact, my second point of the day is that the covenant law carries us to Christ. And you might be wondering, I don't see the connection. Like how in the world does this covenant and law that feels restrictive bring me to freedom in Christ? But Paul teaches this valuable truth in the book of Galatians. 
I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible because I think it's pretty on point. Paul says, What is the point then of the law, the attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. Covered that last week. If you didn't see that, please go back and watch it. The purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, came. Obviously, this law was not a first-hand encounter with God. It was arranged by angelic messengers through a middleman, Moses. But if there is a middleman as there was at Sinai, then the people are not dealing directly with God, are they? But the original promise is the direct blessing of God received by faith. If such is the case, is the law then an anti-promise? A negation of God's will for us? Not at all. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are in ourselves out of right relationship with God and therefore not uh, therefore, to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by on our own efforts. What we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promise. For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create life in us, we would certainly have gotten that life by now. Because we tried, Right? Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar. It says in another version, the law is a schoolmaster who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to a place that they set out for. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. Come on, somebody. You see, the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. If you've tried to keep the Ten Commandments and failed, join the club. Join the club. But they exist to show us God's standard and then reveal our standard and say, now who are you going to call on to fill in the middle gap? That gap filler is the cross of Jesus Christ died for your sin. So that you can call on him and say, I was out of relationship with you, but I'm back because of what Jesus did for me. <coughs> the law is meant to keep people in the way of salvation. It kept the Israelite nation down through generation after generation after generation until Christ would come in the fulfillment of the covenant. You see, we cannot fulfill the law on our own. We need Christ. The law points out to all of us that we are with, at odds with God's holiness, 
but he has come to justify and free us from the oppression of the enemy. By faith in Christ, we are able to eliminate the middle man and rely solely on God's finished work in Christ. I want to talk to you for just a brief moment because I think it's a very important point. It says, by faith, we eliminate the middleman. Listen, brothers and sisters, I just want to warn you, if you're in a church where you have to go to the leadership of that church to get permission or, or to get how you're supposed to live your daily, everyday life, if they come to you and make it seem like you have to go to them instead of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin or for your future, run. Do not walk. Run to the nearest exit. I am here to tell you that I will never, ever, ever replace Jesus Christ in your life. And there is no leader in this church that will replace Jesus Christ. There is no one who is to go between you and God. No one can give you the direction or the forgiveness or the love or the joy that Jesus can. Don't even let them try because they're trying to make themselves an idol. And that is number one and two of the Ten Commandments. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let them get you. Hey, listen, you know what? On a Sunday morning, your girl cleans a toilet and a sink and makes coffee too. Because in this church, we all serve. We are all the same. I just got the biggest mouth, okay? I mean, somebody has gifts. That's my gift. <laughs> this work, this faith in Jesus Christ isn't done with us just being cleaned up, though. It is about being empowered to live out the religious life by putting Christ in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, so that we can obey and fulfill the law and the prophets, because Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's why when asked about the law, Jesus said the greatest commandment, he underscored it. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if he was alive today, he would have said, period. Period. Right? I believe he would. Because that is the law. That is the prophets. Can be summed up in those two things, but it's the thing that brings joy. And now I want to talk to you about the joy of freedom. <laughs> While the covenant law given to Moses shaped the daily life of the people in Israel, the story behind that covenant shaped their identity. The preface to the commands is a reminder where they have been and who brought them on that journey. God says, in the beginning... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt in the land of slavery. You see, Yahweh is the God who hears the cries of the enslaved and does something about it. As a people, they would never get over this joy of rescue. In fact, they still celebrate it today with Passover 
They celebrate the fact that God got them out of slavery and it produced in them this stubborn sense of hope that even in the greatest tragedy, in the greatest trial, even though it would take years, years for God to get Egypt out of them, they instilled in their children the hope that that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. That there would one day be a rescue. And it shaped the way they saw their past, present, and future. And it's one of the most epic stories of all time across any culture anywhere. And, and yet, for all its glory, it's simply a shadow of the rescue to come. You see, today, as we light the Advent candle of joy, we remember our rescue as well. Like the people of Israel who waited for another deliverer and liberator like Moses... We know that that longing is fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus. I want to take you to the book of Luke, which is traditionally read during Christmas. And we have a man named Zechariah, who's old, and his wife, Elizabeth, who is old, and they were barren, never having any children. But they faithfully served the house of God. He was a priest in the Levitical order and served in the house. And it was his turn to go into the holies of holies. And as he ministered before the Lord, an angel popped up, which would have blown me away, and said to Zechariah, hey, I just want you to know, you're going to have a baby. And he was like, what? And he's like, yep, shut your mouth. You're not going to be able to talk, but you're going to have a baby and you're going to name him John. A man who knew the law, who followed the law, who was waiting for the Messiah, got a message from an angel. And guess what happened? His old wife got pregnant. And then this happened. At that time, it says in Luke 1, 39 through 45, Mary got ready... Mary, Mary and Joseph, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. John said, Hey, I know that voice. That is the voice who carries my Lord. I know what's happening. And the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth at that point. Now, y'all know Mary had the Holy Spirit because that's how she got Jesus. I am so amazed that right here in the middle of of the story, a baby leaps for joy at the announcement of Jesus' coming. What a confirmation. She goes on to say, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. A Levitical Jewish woman would be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. 
And joy would overtake the baby that she carried because Jesus is all about joy. He is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And she would have known and recited and been entrenched in the liberation story of the nation of Israel. She would know that. And like Elizabeth, we can be filled with joy when we remember our story. When we remember how we were once enslaved, no, not in Egypt with physical chains, but under the brutality of Pharaoh, bearing the oppression of that mighty empire, but we were once enslaved to sin. And some of us may still be, but I've got good news. I know a way maker, miracle worker, mighty God, who is ready to get you out of your slavery. You see, it was our exile and we were bound by the oppressive grip of sin. But Jesus faced down the empire of sin and proclaimed, let my people go. You see, Jesus is greater than Moses and we need him every day. So now I want to give you three things to restore your joy. Number one, let God reorient your life. Recognize that you are a little big sinner. And whether it's in a religious sense or whether we are putting people or people pleasing or work or wealth or any other thing before God, let God reorient your life. God, let him strip away anything that you're putting before him. God needs to be your number one. He needs to be your A1 from day one, okay? He needs to be where you run to when things don't go right. He needs to be your first and your last. He needs to be option A, B, C, and D, okay? Let him reorient your life. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, Study his word and let it change who you are from the inside out. Number two, man, rest in Christ and restore your joy. Allow the commandments of the covenant, these, these ten commandments, to shape your life and bring you to your need for Christ. When you reflect on them, reflect on your own relationship with God. Ask yourself this. Are there any areas of my life? Are there anything that feel out of line with God's will? When you read those commandments, is there anything that you go, oh, that's me. Oh, man, I lied. Oh, man, I did that. Oh, man, that Tesla. Oh, man, that bag of popcorn. Whatever it is. That popcorn is not part of the Ten Commandments. I'm just, okay, you can eat the popcorn. Listen, we neglect in, in taking that commandment to keep a Sabbath. We, we neglect to, to take that seriously. All of us do. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm the one. And can I be honest? When I was writing this sermon, um, I was struggling. I was like, I, I just, God, I don't know what to do. And very clearly, and you might, you might laugh at this, but very clearly, I was just exhausted it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was out of the house and I was working from home. And God said, you know what? You need to rest. I want you 
to shut off everything in this house. And I just want you to lay down on the couch. That's it. That's all I want you to do. And I laid down and I just let the silence surround me. I woke up two hours later. And when I woke up, I pulled out my phone and I wrote. Because rest is reorienting yourself. When you reflect on your needs, know that probably one of the most spiritual things that you can do in your life is take a dang nap. Take a day off. I don't, t take a sick day. Tell your boss I said so. I don't care what you got. I'll write you a daggone note. I don't know if that has any sway in your corporation, but heck, we'll try it, right? Sometimes what you need to do is stop neglecting the Sabbath, stop neglecting rest, and let God handle what you've been worrying about all week. Because when you let God rest you and you are reset, he can work better through you. Sometimes you just need to turn it off and take a day. Take permission to that. Don't let this American life lie to you. That stuff you're worrying about, be there tomorrow. It'll be there tomorrow. And if not, then you need to reevaluate your, your set of standards, honestly. All right, number three, final. Remember your rescue. Remember and retell your story of rescue. How and when did Jesus rescue you? How did that change your life? And then by God, tell somebody about it. You have the opportunity to give somebody the freedom of Christ at Christmas. And all you have to do is tell them what Christ has done for you. It's real easy. Look for an opportunity to share the joy with at least one other person this week. That's my challenge to you. Share the joy of your rescue with one other person this week. It takes three minutes. Tell them where you were before Christ, what your life looked like. Tell them how you encountered Jesus. Church, reading your Bible by yourself, at a Bible study, through a friend, through a parent, whatever. And then three, tell them what your life looked like after. Three minutes. It's so easy. And if you're here in this building this morning or if you are online and you have never started a relationship with Jesus, I want to welcome you to pray with me in just a few minutes and say, you know what? I've been putting this off for too long. I know I'm a Ten Commandment breaker. I know I'm a big little sinner. And I really want today to be a point in my life, today to be the best day ever where I choose to lay it down and I choose to have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. If you're in the house, would you just pray out loud with me so that anybody praying around you won't feel alone? Man, we are one, one people. Pray this out loud. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I accept you into my heart and my life. Reorient me for joy. Help me follow you. Amen. If you said that prayer with us, 
I would love for you to text that's me to 94,000 or you can simply scan the QR code on the screen if you're here in house. I will text you this week and I will make sure that you have all that you need to carry out this relationship, reading plans, Bible study, and even an app on your phone that can help you connect with God better. If you're here or you're online and you have wandered away from the truth that Jesus set you free and you need to come back today, you need to say, God, I'm back. I want to pray with you too. Father, I ask by the Holy Spirit that you would touch that person right now who needs you, who needs to know you, who needs to reconnect with you again because they've wandered off. They've let the, the cares of this world drown out the word that you gave to them. Father, help them to connect to you. If that's you, just say, I'm back. I'm back, God. I'm coming back to you. And then just start tomorrow with a new Bible plan. Father, we accept you. We, we know that we wander, so we say we're back. Amen. Hey, if that's you, I would love for you to type I'm back all together, all lowercase with no punctuation to 94,000 and we'll make sure to get you connected too. It's been such an honor to be with you this week. We have so much more in store for you. I want to encourage you before I leave this stage, please make sure that you join us for our very special Christmas Eve experience on Saturday the 24th. We will not have church on Sunday the 25th. We will rebroadcast Christmas Eve on the 25th so you'll be able to experience Christmas morning if you so choose or later in that week. But please make sure you join us. We have so many special things planned for you and your family. It's a whole kids in thing. So make sure that you make it a priority to keep Christ in Christmas and join us on Christmas Eve. And I will see all of you next week. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.